0: And if you're not a friend of the program and this is your first time on the rodeo, then let me tell you this. You need to go to Spotify, Apple, or wherever you get your podcasts and smash subscribe today because the OSP show
1: is back. It's the Ringer Gambling Show presented by Fandle. The road to the NBA Finals starts now, and Fandle is the best place to get in on the action. Right now, you can check out the new and improved QuickBets, which are back, and better than ever for the NBA playoffs on FanDuel. Find what you're looking for faster and easier with more props right at your fingertips. You can check out live bets like 3-Minute Markets and exclusive live bets like quarter player props, player assist combos, and more. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-health.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available, and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 plus, 18 plus, and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 100 gambler Visit rg-help.com. This episode is brought to you by cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to
2: real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com.
1: Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com.
0: All right, like Ricardo Pepe in the U.S. squad, we are back. It is the Ringer Soccer Gambling Show. I'm Steve Zagrude, as always, joined by the great Paul Carr of True Media Ball. Men's National Team is back in our lives again. This time, we actually get to talk about some games and not, like, some real housewife drama. Are you fired <laughs> up? Because, I mean, I know they're not the most exciting matchups in the world, but I am excited to see, like, what is a, a pretty big uh, list of, of guys that are, you know, Certainly in the in the in the main eleven and certainly guys who were at the World Cup. So it is kind of exciting and we can maybe move past some of the drama we've seen in the last month or so. I think that's it. I want to get back to on the field. We got about half the World Cup team.
2: So you get some familiar faces and names coming back. Uh, yeah, the game shouldn't be that competitive. It's CONCACAF. You never really know. But yeah, it's just let's play some games with the A team more or less.
0: Yeah, so like I said, let's go through the rundown. We'll get to that, the two games. Um, the, We'll go through the entire squad too, just talk about people that we're interested in watching. We don't exactly know like what the plan is, as we've mentioned, interim manager, no real leadership structure in place yet for the U.S., which I'm not mad about. I'm just saying, just no, pointed out, fine. it is what it is. Um, is. I'm kind of okay with how we're going here. We'll touch on the Rainer report a little bit that did come out last week. I think, Paul, it came out like hours after we <laughs> we taped last week, so we missed it by a few mm-hmm. hours, but we will get to that. I mean, nothing crazy in there, but we'll, we'll yeah. talk about kind of that and then the fallout. Um, we have to get into who, what is kind of one of the more interesting stories off the pitch for the U.S. Men's National Team, which is uh, forlan Balogun, who is you know an, an English player, plays for Arsenal, but also can play for Nigeria and the U.S., who is lighting it up in France right now. He's a name if you haven't heard of him, and you're a U.S. fan, you definitely want to. So we'll go into him a little bit and talk about kind of his decision of where to play internationally in the next couple of years. And we had the Champions League quarter quarterfinal draw, Paul, and weird, huh. weird. I mean, two really interesting. I mean, it's really well for the italian teams i think they're pretty pumped about how this thing turned out three of them on one side of the bracket none of like the big big you know uh you know the, the, the big sharks out there like the, mm-hmm. the cities and the real madrid's and the chelsea's and the um and the bayern munich's but uh a lot lot to kind of get into there And i have an interesting question for you about whether we'll, we'll pin two teams versus the field and talk about which one you should take and both all those right, teams are on opposite right. sides of the track uh, bracket as well but let's just start off with the rain report as i mentioned before for anyone who's been living under a rock if you've if you're a U.S. fan or just you know has kind of tuned out on this thing, which I don't blame you because it's been kind of an annoying couple of months here sure. following all this stuff. But the Rainer report was a commission by the U.S. Soccer, which was done by an independent law firm, and it basically just confirmed Paul all the stuff that we already knew. Gio Rainer was mad about his playing time. His dad, Claudio, who is a U.S. Soccer legend, and his wife, Danielle, essentially leaked that there were some domestic issues in Greg Berhalter's past that they were going to leak out there to the public. Greg has since you know acknowledged and 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 come and come clean really about um his past incident when he was at UNC with his with his now wife and girlfriend at the time um and i, I think what we really got paul was like more of an understanding of just how insane the reyna family was kind of behind the scenes really just kind of like nagging um and bothering right. and being like the helicopter parent that we really were we, we kind of thought we knew but we got we're like wow this is really really bad going all the way back to like geo in the u17 world cup so right. all this stuff gets released what's your first reaction
2: i think it was the the extent the longevity of the interfering, whatever you want to call it, the Reynas were doing. I mean, there have been rumblings, and you know, i heard from different people that some of this may or may not have been happening. The extent was kind of fuzzy. Uh, but just to get it kind of formalized and report, I just think the Reynas come off the worst in this. You know, I mm-hmm. don't know how this is going to affect Claudio Reynas. Uh, you know, I mean, he's clearly not going to get the sporting director job, or, but what is his place in the U.S. soccer landscape? You know, he's kind of with Austin right now, though they're kind of quiet about what's going on there. Uh, they're going to come off worse. I mean, I know Berhalter uh, is still the candidate for the U.S. job. I feel like that's more of a legal (laughs) thing. I was going to say, is he though? (laughs) Right. I think it's a, he is is technically a candidate in the same way, you know, you and I are technically candidates, probably a little less qualified. But yeah, I think it's one of those that they have to say from a legal standpoint so that they, yeah, they're just covering their own backsides once it comes down to making an actual decision. And I mean, you have to at least consider what some of the players say, you know, Pulisic had that interview where he was very complimentary mm-hmm. of Berhalter. That seems to be the stance of a, at least some of the players. So he's done some good things with this team. It seems to me that he would still be the coach if all of this drama hadn't happened. But here we are, and I can't imagine they'll keep him. But there's an no. interesting mix of candidates that could be there.
0: Yeah, we'll get to that in a second, too, because there have been like two specifically uh, interesting names. One uh, Premier League manager that just got fired. His name is not Jesse March. Uh, and <laughs> one of them is one of the greatest players of all time who might actually have kind of a backdoor into getting us Balogun uh, as, our, yeah. as our striker of the future. So we'll get to that in a second, too. But I think you're right. Like, the thing that kind of stood out to me was just how... I mean, <laughs> they the Rand family was basically, like, threatening U.S. soccer on the reg for, like, a couple of years. <laughs> this yep. is
2: insane. Yeah. And in, This was not and, just one bad phone call or something. No. This was the, no, no, no. the pinnacle of a lot of conversations, we'll say.
0: And it's so weird because I... I like started watching and i I just hadn't gotten around to it i had a lot too much going on but i started watching the good rivals um u.s mexico doc on Mm -hmm. i believe it's on amazon i want to say and you know it kind of goes through like oh here's this the the origins of kind of like mls and how u.s soccer went from an embarrassment to being you know taken seriously in the world and there was really a a lot of that was in the late 80s early 90s obviously getting the world cup um in 94 was a big deal and you know you see claudio in there and like this this group is like really cool and they're really tight-knit burr halters there and I, I was like man this this just kind of sucks to look back at now because yeah. obviously there's a, a lot of really strained relationships that have gone on there um you know obviously that one going back all the way to the to the college soccer days. so it's, it's just really unfortunate to see but mm-hmm. you know we'll get into the full squad in just a second but Gio is back in the squad so yeah. With intern with an interim manager, so obviously Berhalter's not there, so it's a little bit easier for everyone probably to accept this. Do you think? Because I really don't like. I don't think this is going to have any long-lasting so. impact on Gio going forward. He's been good at BVB. He's probably going to continue to be good at, for the US. And I think the easiest thing for them to do is just to play him. And once they right. start playing games start getting accumulated, like I just think people are going to kind of forget about this. Like Claudio, I think you're right. Like I don't know. He's never. I don't think he's ever going to be in the running for any majors you know U.S. soccer position again he might even be kind of blackballed from MLS to be honest with you mm-hmm. because it's just it's just a terrible look for him I don't know how you hire him in the future like I think Berhalter he'll get a job if he wants to in MLS or maybe even in like a lower league in in uh in England you know in the next year or so or whenever he really wants to so I think I think Claudio is probably you know he's done essentially in his career in soccer probably yep. but I think everybody else kind of can you know time heals all wounds here for me and I think at the end of the day like yep. you can make an argument that Gio is our most talented player so if that means that you know, you have to make a managerial move and it's not Greg Berhalter. I'm not that mad about it. Like, I'm willing to kind of forgive and forget.
2: Yeah, I mean, he's, Reyna's going to be fine. I mean, several players have said in different places that, you know, they pretty much resolved everything at the World Cup. And I don't. I think players, again, you can play well on the field. They'll forgive a lot or forget a lot. And assuming Reyna, you know, behaves, for lack of a better term, I, I don't think this is going to be a problem
0: on the field moving forward. So just to put a bow on that interim manager, Anthony Hudson, he did say this, uh, I think it was last week about the whole situation he said quote, the situation during the world cup was handled as a group. There was a positive response from the player and we all move forward. As far as we're concerned, Gio is part of our program. He's a good guy and a top talent. Obviously that's like, you know, PR one-on-one. I don't know if you could really read anything into that, but I, I do actually just think it's not going to ultimately matter. Um, so as I mentioned before, right now, the, the men's national team has an interim manager, Anthony Hudson, no sporting director, no general manager, Berhalter's just kind of blooming, although it doesn't seem like that's going to be something for, for the future. The question is, there have still been a lot of like rumblings about, okay, who is the next full-time manager? Who is, I mean, listen, we talked in the past about like, do you shoot for the stars? Do You go for Pep Guardiola, Jose Mourinho might be available. Like, do you really try to do this? And. I just don't ultimately think that the U.S. job is as attractive, maybe as some of the fan base thinks it is, especially coming out of all of this drama with no leadership. Obviously, it depends who they put in place in some of the leadership positions, um, like the sporting director, um, or maybe you just give somebody, you know, kind of total control, um, which I, I don't always advocate. I think mean, it's a terrible idea in the NBA. It's a terrible idea in the NFL. Mm-hmm. When you're when you're a GM slash head coach, it's not quite the same. I think when you talk about international soccer, but there are two names, Paul, that have come up, and I want to want to get your thoughts on them. The first one is Thierry Henry who has been a I don't want to say longtime assistant, but he was with Belgium. he was with our guy Roberto Martinez uh, you know, by all means is a is a guy that players like obviously he can attract potential talent and but he, it, the resume just isn't there as a coach. so I, I don't know if that's really right. a great call to make when you're you have this massive World Cup coming up in four years that you have all this pressure to do well and you hire a first-time head coach. It doesn't seem like a great idea. The other one is Crystal Palace's recently sacked manager Patrick Vieira who, has ties to MLS, obviously having coached in the league before. Um, and I think it's just a, he has obviously more experience. He's managed in multiple leagues. Uh, is still, and he's not the name Henri is, but he's still a pretty big name when it comes to the history of the sport. Do either of those mm-hmm. kind of get you going? Like, I, I, think, you, I think you could sell me on Vieira. I mean, we've had multiple people, including our own Taylor Twelman, who thinks that it's kind of like a home run hire. But where are you at?
2: Yeah, I mean, Henri is obviously the bigger name. And if he's interested, you have to listen. I'd be hesitant to hire someone who's, Never had any success really as a head coach. I know he's been the assistant. Time in France didn't go well. Uh, Vieira's interesting to me because one thing he did with Palace, he got them playing a certain way. Like there was a pretty, it wasn't necessarily pretty, and they didn't have anybody who could, you know, put the ball in the net, which is pretty important. But uh, so maybe he's a fit for the US. But anyway, (laughs) uh, no. Um, But yeah, he got them doing something, you know, and they looked for a time like they were, you know, a legit middle of the table, even upper half team, uh, before things kind of fell apart, especially at the attacking end. so Vieira's intriguing. He knows the US system ish, you know, like I said, he was here. So it's he's not coming out of nowhere. He's familiar with some of the politics and whatnot. So of those two, I would definitely look at Vieira before Henri personally, just based on mostly his resume, his body of work over the last several years.
0: You know, it's been bad at palace this last year. um it has. i i have kind of been this most of this entire year fading them and it has really kind of worked recently. uh you're right the goals have kind of dried up. i don't know i don't think that they don't have talent on that team though. that's the thing. Is i think that as it isn't it's i mean they're what two i think they're two points above the drop right now. Right. they're 27 points i believe which i mean they they just shouldn't yep. be near there. now granted we've talked about this there's nine teams in the relegation scrap which is pretty insane. so they're going to get dragged into it because they're kind of a mid-table team. but I do think he did underperform there, but you're right. Last year, they played some pretty good football. They were attacking. Um, you know, it's funny that they go from Roy Hodgson and then back to Roy Hodgson, and they're, <laughs> they've are they kind of like gone back in time here, back to the boring days to try to keep them safe, but he did kind of have them playing some decent, you know, I, they, they, were, they played a little bit of a modern style, more than you would think a Crystal mm-hmm. Palace or a mid-table Premier League team would play, so hats off to him for that, and I think, you know, uh, I think, I think it's reasonable to say he's a, he's a big name coach. Like I, I think when we get bogged down and like oh who can the U.S. get we talk about as I mentioned all these massive names. I just don't know that they're that realistic. So when you throw out a Patrick Vieira yeah. to me, that's like a that's like a top end name for mm-hmm. a guy to take over the U.S. job. Like I don't think that's I think that would be a good get if they can get him. Now is the fit right? I don't know. Um, I do like that he. I don't think it's like I've heard all these people talk about. And I, maybe I don't know if you feel the same way. Like oh we need we need a guy who knows you know the, the country and knows the league. I don't know that I definitely agree with that. Fully, I do think it would help, and he kind of has both. So, listen, if 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 they announce that he's the manager, I'm not going to be mad about it. Uh, I think he'd be in the top, you know, five choices I'd have right now for sure. I think so.
2: Yeah, I don't think it needs to. I don't think the manager needs to be an American or something. I think you have to have some familiarity with it, which is why like a, a Mourinho or someone. I just, I don't know. I don't see him coming in and fitting in the ways you have to fit in into U.S. soccer, both the organization and just kind of the the broader system of everything. So yeah, if if you told me it's Vieira, be like, all right, I think this can work. You know, uh, assuming if they're announcing that, you know, they've sorted out some of those behind the scenes, you know, who's controlling what power sorts of things, all that, all that kind of stuff. So yeah, I think he'd be a good fit. Is he does he want to do international stuff? That's really kind of the question. He hasn't before. That's that's my only real question about him. No international uh, management experience, obviously a hugely successful career, but it is a little bit different. You know, you can instill a philosophy on a club side. Can you do it in an international side when you only have them for a week or two every month or two? Uh, a little bit of a different thing. But I, I would not be upset if that's the guy moving forward.
0: The other thing is the money, Paul. Like, I think, right. you know, when you talk about Jose Mourinho, I mean, he certainly, when he was in the Premier League, was making well over 10 million yeah. pounds, However, you want to much. do it. He's making seven at Roma right now, which is even high for Roma standards. Mm-hmm. Like, I think Greg Halter made a little over a million uh I want to say uh so I I don't I I could be wrong on that but it certainly is nowhere near what some of these guys would command and probably even a guy like Patrick Vieira would command if he wanted even like a championship job or like a job in a yeah. different league or who you know like I think so like the money is sort of a factor this 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 would be a job where you're taking it because you really want the job not because you're doing it to you know to to you know buy an island somewhere <laughs> um right. so that is that is something that to take into consideration like I don't think the US soccer federation is incredibly liquid right now right uh The one thing I do meant, I I had heard a rumor about uh, Gucci on Yewu potentially being the guy who could oversee, sort of, uh, the, you know, whether it be the general manager or the sporting director role. That's, I I love him. I think he's good on TV. I like him as a player. I have no idea what it'll be like if he he ends up taking over the squad, but he knows the team. Uh, I think the players like him. And he's a guy that I think, you know, if you you hired him, I don't think he's, I don't think someone's is or isn't taking the job because of him. So, you know, that's just a name that's been floated out there. But all in all, I've
2: worked with him on CBS doing TV stuff. Yeah. Again, similar. Though, like him, enjoy talking with him. No idea if that's no a idea. good fit. I know he's done some kind of management type of stuff, front office type of stuff in Belgium. Uh, so he's got some experience, but obviously this is a whole different can of worms. But yeah, I think he's got the respect. He seems to have, he has a good personality, good guy to work with. So, but yeah, no idea really.
0: Yeah. And I think that's when we're talking about all these people, Like, it's like, yeah, I don't know. It could work. Could not work. You right. know, it, at the end of the day, sometimes it just also just depends on how good your players are, <laughs> like that's, mm-hmm. especially internationally. So right. uh, and uh, we'll, we'll certainly do more on that in a second. Actually, let's just do that now because let's get into right. the U.S. Men's National team. They have the Nations League coming up. Grenada, as you corrected me before the pod, uh, not Granada, Grenada, Grenada uh, on Friday and then El Salvador at home on Monday. Are the two games, and they've also got a, a friendly coming up in, in I think mid-April too against yes. Mexico, which is really it's outside of the, the usual international right. window too. So that's going to throw a little bit of a wrench in, wrench in the works. Maybe we'll see some more MLS guys in right. that one because of uh, because of the deal. But let's go through the roster here, um, Paul. And I'm gonna I'll go position by position. We can kind of talk about like guys that stand out and some storylines that that you might want to talk about. First and foremost, as we mentioned, almost no um, or almost all European guys, very few MLS guys. No Tyler Adams and Tim Way due to injury. So let's start here with the goalkeepers. We've got Matt Turner, number one guy. Um, I think no surprise he's back in the team. But uh, one surprise here is Zach Steffen's back in the squad after getting the snub from the World Cup. Um, and Ethan Horvath rounds out the three goalkeepers there. So obviously, I think the, the, the first and the last one I mentioned are, okay, I get that. What do you think about Steffen being back in the mix? I think it's
2: good. I mean, he's been playing for Middlesbrough and playing relatively well by all accounts. Uh, you know, nine clean sheets this year. Uh, started 34 or 38 games for him so far this season. So he's playing. He's, I guess, not playing badly is almost as important. as playing well, I think. Yeah. So, yeah, get him, get him back in. I mean, this is what, a camp like this, you want to bring in, whatever, a guy of the future. You don't want to bring in a Sean Johnson or someone like that who you know is not going to contribute all that much to this next cycle, uh, especially beyond like this year. So, yeah, it's good to get him back in the mix because, you know, if, what if uh, Matt Turner gets hurt? Is Matt have to step in and start? You gotta you gotta get get him back, get him ready. So yeah, good to see him back. I think more than anything else, I think those are pretty clearly the top three in the U.S. keeper pool right now.
0: Yeah, Middlesbrough, his squad, by the way, is third in the championship after mm-hmm. kind of a weird start. I don't know if he's had an awesome year, but he's he had a tough start, and I think he sort of rounded out into form and is is, is doing okay. Yeah. And they're going to have a chance to come back up. I don't know, you know, like if they get promoted, I don't know that he'll be the Middlesbrough right. keeper next year. I think it would be cool if he was, but you know, we'll mm-hmm. have to see how that kind of. How, to, uh, how that kind of pans out. But I'm kind of with you. Like, you know, I, th- I think Matt will probably get the start in both of these games, mostly to just because you want to get him some playing time. And he isn't playing a ton for Arsenal, right. so you might as well just play him. And you're probably not going to bring him on the trip if you're not going to play him anyway. Yeah. Um So, you know, you're right. Like, maybe you give, maybe, I don't know, who knows? Like, maybe something happens and Stefan gets a, gets a gets a look. But I do okay. think you're yeah. right. That that like it's good that we're getting some of these people that are still kind of young and still have a chance to be a, a part of the future because that's the one thing we talked about. No sporting director, no um you know an, an interim manager, no one really leading the team, but it does look like this squad does sort of show that they're looking towards the future, which they should be.
2: Yeah, wouldn't shock me if I don't know you sub maybe maybe keep your sub at halftime of the graded game if it's working out in your favor. Yeah, you're, you're up four 0 sure. or
0: something. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> might as well feels terrible.
2: Say, I hope Arsenal learned its lesson. They didn't start Matt Turner in the Europa League, and what happened? Ramsdale yep. gives up a goal from midfield and allows all five penalty tries in the shootout. So
0: just Yeah, saying. listen. Goalkeeper battle? I'm not saying we're just saying. Who knows? Just Matt, T- Matt Turner, I, I think they probably advance it. Matt Turner starts that game. That's I right. know, it's not it's a I don't even think that's a hot take. I think it's no. just a take. It is what it yep. is. Um All right, so let's get to the defenders here. This is a, a larger list. Sergino Dest is back in the squad. Mark McKenzie, Tim Ream, Brian Reynolds, my guy, who is uh, still <laughs> still owned by Roma, but is uh, is is on loan as well. Um, Anthony Robinson, Miles Robinson's back. Shout out to yeah. him after uh, after tearing up his knee about a year ago. He's like one of the few, I think, the only uh, MLS guy in this, which is a little bit confusing. Yes. Joe Scali, and then uh, Austin Trusty, who is an interesting name for sure. So, anything stand out to you, here, Paul? So,
2: Miles Robinson is back. That's great. You know, he probably would have started at the World Cup if he'd not uh, gotten hurt last May, I think it was. Um, and yeah, just the MLS point. We're getting this, The roster in April will be probably almost exclusively MLS guys. Uh, and so I think this is just a matter of, you know, Atlanta probably preferred him to come now uh, than that one-off in April. So I think it was probably just negotiating with that. And that's why you're not seeing, you know, there's no Walker Zimmerman or Kellen Acosta or Jordan Morris on this roster. I would expect all those guys to get called up in April for that uh, one-off Mexico game. Um, beyond Robinson, though, I mean, I think it's just kind of, Filling in the depth at outside back, you know, it was kind of a, a weakness behind Destin Robinson at uh, the World Cup. So, you know, can Scully or Trusty or even Reynolds, can one of those guys grab one of those backup positions? Maybe. I'm There's been running on a lot of those guys over the past few years and no one's really uh, jumped aside from Anthony Robinson. So, it's interesting to see if anyone can do anything to kind of keep
0: themselves on the radar at outside back moving forward. It is interesting because... <laughs> I you'd like I think Anthony Robinson I've said this for a while I think he is our best fullback I know Sergio Des gets all the the you know the,
2: the doesn't
0: defend the, the applause and whatever and he's flashy plays at Barcelona obviously now he plays he's on loan at, at AC Milan but he's he's really kind of been frozen out at AC Milan mm-hmm. I, he's going to go back to Barcelona I don't know what his future is going to be I assume they're going to try to sell him this summer because as we all know Barcelona needs money um, <laughs> and then if he doesn't then you know does he play I, I, there's a it's kind of like a weird it's an interesting time in Sergio Des career I think um, mm-hmm. he has. He, and I've watched a couple of AC Milan games where he's featured in. Like the, the AC Milan fans don't like him. You're right. He doesn't defend at all. Um, he is really more of like a wing back winger, but he's not as great of a finisher. So he's, he's the talent is still there, but it's one of those like he hasn't really put it all together yet. So you'd like to see one of these other right backs, and we have a million of them. <laughs> you'd like to right. see one of them maybe potentially push him. I, and I, I really like Brian Reynolds. Like I know he had a, kind of the falling out with Jose Mourinho, but he was incredible at FC Dallas. He's like 6'4, he's so athletic, he puts a great cross in. He's another one, though. I mean, he's really young, so you know, he's still like nineteen, twenty years old. But terrible, terrible defending—that was the whole, the whole problem. Why right. Jose Mourinho just didn't want to play him? Um, I'd like to see one of these guys potentially push Sergio Dest because I do mm-hmm. think that is like I think I you know when we look towards the World Cup in twenty twenty six, you know, I don't I don't know that 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 right back spot is Sergio Dest's you know, and yeah. it's un—you know, it's 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 basically undisputed. I think that there's right. it's it could be potentially up for grabs depending on who's in form and who's not. So these next couple of years, I'd like to see one of those guys step up. And you know, if this is the start of it, then that's great. Especially if you're playing a team
2: where you're not going to have as much of the ball, like you want someone who can defend better. Breaking mm-hmm. news, you know. So Dest is you know fine, good against your CONCACAF teams, your uh, you know similar level or lower level on the international stage. But yeah, you need someone. You know, who can defend a little bit more at that right back spot? So that the backup spot's open, maybe the starter job is open for the next few years.
0: And just lastly, I'd like to see. I don't know if we'll see him again. We don't know what the lineups are going to be like. You know, the, certainly the the Grenada game is kind of a total wild card. It's going to be on an absolute shit field. It's against a bad <laughs> team. Like you, I, I don't know what their mindset is. They might just put up a bunch. You know, give a bunch of guys who don't usually play a chance, and they'll probably be fine either way. As we, you know, we'll talk about. Actually, do you want to do you want to set up too? Because we talked about this in the pre chat. The two games, I mean, basically, right. Paul, the U.S., the, the Granada uh, game doesn't really matter as much. They just right. kind of have to get up. They have to beat El Salvador, essentially, to top the group, right?
2: Yeah, it's important. No, these are competitive games in the sense that it's a competition, and this is the group stage of the Nations League that started last June. Uh, so, yeah, if the U.S. beats El Salvador, they win the group regardless. The one thing they have in the Grenada game, if they win that one, then all they need against El Salvador to win the group is a draw. So, it's a little bit of something. I'm sure they'll play that up, you know, win this one. It makes everything else easier, which is true. Uh, but, you know, it shouldn't make much difference. And then what they do, they get to the semifinals in the final, which will be in June, Las Vegas. This is what they beat Mexico in a couple years ago in Denver in that crazy 3-2 extra time game. Uh, so, yeah, you're, you are playing for a trophy, even though you kind of forgotten with how long ago
0: the first part of the group stage was.
2: So there's a little something to play for. It shouldn't be a hard task, but it's CONCACAF. So who
0: knows? I'd like to see Trusty or or, or McKenzie. I just selfishly, I'd like to see him get a shot out there. I just really would, especially against uh, Grenada. So uh, moving on, let's go to the midfield here. There's a lot of familiar names here. Brennan Aaronson's in the squad. Luca della Torre's in the squad. Wes and are guys in the squad. Jonas Moose is in the squad. And then two um, interesting ones. One, Alan uh, Sonora and mm-hmm. uh, Johnny Cardoso, who... You know, a little bit of wild cards there. I But I think the, the main thing here is like the bulk of our midfield minus Tyler Adams is here for this camp. And, you know, it's, that's probably the strength of our team right now.
2: Yeah, I'm, I'm curious to see how they replace it because there is no n- really natural number six. Cardoso is probably the closest thing here. Um, however, you're playing, again, Grenada and El Salvador. So my guess is they'll just plug in Delatore there and call it good uh, because, it, it again, it really shouldn't make much difference as much of the ball as you're going to have. Uh, but they don't just beyond this squad. There's not a perfect replacement for Adams. Acosta's kind of turned into the guy with you know mixed success at that six spot. Uh, so I don't know that we're going to learn a whole lot about this. You know, he did list Aronson as a midfielder. Does that mean he's going to try him in the ten role under three so. forwards? Maybe. You know, and this is kind of the time to experiment. I know I said they're competitive games, but they should, in the literal sense. But this is a decent time to to try a few things. You try Aronson there. You look at plugging Reyna in under there, Pulisic under there, you know, whatever you want to do. Uh, I, this is an opportunity, so I do wonder if the Aaronson thing. I know we always read too much into these roster position listening listings, but you know maybe maybe they plug him in there. You could put Musa and McKinney behind them if you want to try kind of a dual eight sort of thing. You can get away with that in these games. So I don't know that we're going to learn a ton from the who's going to replace Adam standpoint, but there's there's some opportunities to tinker with a few things here.
0: Yeah, and you know, I'll get to the forwards in a second. But a guy like Giorena is listed as a forward, which I understand, but he could also play in the ten spot. I, I'd mm-hmm. I'd like to see a double pivot. I'd like to see you know a four two 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 or maybe a four two three one, um, and kind of give Musa, uh, Delatore. Um, Weston McKenney, whoever, like a little bit licensed to go forward. Because as you said, Mm -hmm. if we don't have a natural six, like I don't like pigeonholing a guy to be like, hey, you're going to play the six for this game if you don't actually know positionally what you're supposed to be doing. You have a little bit more flexibility. You're probably going to have a lot of the ball. You're not going to need a guy to sit there in front of your two center backs and just defend for the whole game. So I don't think it's that big of a deal. So I'd actually like to see them implement some attacking midfielders and use guys like Raina, use guys like Aronson, maybe even Pulisic in those positions where they're driving the ball forward. They can kind of connect the midfield to the attack. You know, I don't know who your two strikers are. Obviously, they have two strikers on the roster. I'll get to the forwards in just a second. But I do kind of hope they do a little, like, a double pivot of some sort with a number 10 or maybe two number 10s in this situation. Yeah, yeah, it's,
2: it's worth a shot. You've got some flexible personnel. You've got some little flexibility just given the landscape of the games. So that, that'll that be the question. My guess is they'll just either plop Delatory behind in a 6-ish role or use McKinney and Musa in a double ish type of thing. But there's a whole bunch of different ways they could go with it.
0: Let's get to the forwards here as we close this thing out. We've got uh, Daryl DK, who I think just everybody, all the US fans love him, and he's he's yeah. an absolute tank. Um, shout out to West Brom, like he's just, I, he's got a great smile. He seems like he has an awesome attitude. Everybody Good seems dude. to like him. I, I I don't know, like I, I don't know how. I don't know what his ceiling really is, but whenever he plays for the U.S., like, I think he brings it. I think he's a tough guy to deal with. He's a, he's just an absolute unit. He's like Josie Altador on steroids, but not actually on steroids. Um, <laughs> Not that Josie was, but just figuratively speaking, right. for those of you who want to come, out, come at Good me clarity.
2: here. Good clarity. Good
0: clarify. So, so I, I, I I like watching Daryl D.K. play, so I'm happy he's in the squad. The other striker we have, as I mentioned at the top of the pod, is Ricardo Pepe back in the mix. Um, Other forwards include Taylor Booth. We've got uh, Jordi Mihailovic, which is an interesting name, Christian Pulisic, Gio Reyna, and another guy, Um, And Alex and Dejas from Club America, who was kind of a little bit of a, it was an interesting coup that the U.S. was able to grab him away from Mexico. Paul, I don't know if you have anything on him. I know you, (laughs) I I I don't know how important he's going to be, but it was actually pretty significant that the U.S. prod him away from Mexico. Yeah. What
2: a weird story of he played for Mexico, but he shouldn't have. And they got fined and very strange. But yeah, I mean, I saw him, he played for the U.S. against Serbia in January. So I was at that game and saw him play. I mean, I mean, this is a compliment, like he just fit right in and even kind of popped a little against those rosters, which were, you know, not the A-team rosters for either country. Uh, from what I've seen of him in that game and a little bit playing in Mexico, like, if you told me he's a backup winger on, the like, the A-team, I think I'd be okay with that. Mm-hmm. Uh, seems to bring a little of everything. You know, he'll go at guys. You can make the crosses, put the ball in. Seems to fit nicely on that winger spot. Can drift in the middle a little bit, too. So, I- I'm excited to see him with the full team. Did you see him with, the you know, the b B minus type of team is he? Uh, can he be as assertive with a uh, against? Well, I don't know how much better these opponents are going to be, but uh, with the A team, where he's you know not the man in the same type of way, but so I'm interested to see what he can uh, do because I could see it when they call the A team in for either the Nations League or the Gold Cup, I could see him being on that A team and, and being a big contributor there.
0: Yeah, and again, he plays for Club America, which is you know one of if not the biggest right. club in Mexico, and you know Mexico did want him. Uh, it's 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 <laughs> without without a manager, sporting director, any leadership, we were able to pull that. That's actually pretty, pretty good. I think it's a nice feather in the cap for the U.S. There, we'll take that. Yeah. Uh, I do want to spend a second on on Pepe though, because I'm glad he's back in the squad. I hope that we can sort of put behind us the him not making the roster. Whether you want to agree with that or not agree with it, I sort of did agree with that at the time. Even though now I think in hindsight I'm like, eh, I, yeah. he probably should have been there because I don't think there were the, the people that we brought were necessarily better than he was. Um, I just hope he starts knocking some goals in. He has been right. pretty good, uh, recently. Um, once he, when he initially moved away from MLS and went to Osberg, like it was just kind of a mess. They were in a relegation scrap. I don't think he was put in a great spot to begin with. Now, in a little bit of a lower league, uh, I think he can regain his form. I think, I don't think it's over for him as the number, as the future number nine of the U.S. men's national team. And I think it starts now. Like if he can kind of hit the ground running, he's got, you know, he'll have a new manager eventually, obviously, a new manager in the interim right now. He's one of the guys where I'm like, I hope. It, it does seem like he put that behind him too, Paul. Like, I don't think, I, mean, I, I hope he's not holding a grudge. He's here and he has everything to play for to play in 2026. Got 10 goals for Groningen. I know it's the Dutch league and everyone scores Every, goals Everybody there, scores, but, yeah.
2: But he's doing it, which is fine. Yep. You no, know, he's in a relegation scrap again. Uh, more than anything in this window, what I want to see is goals from DK and or Pepe. Like, just give me some goals. I know you are scoring them against Grenada and El Salvador. I don't care. Give me the goals. This is what Pepe did in, in qualifying when he scored in his first couple of games but hasn't scored since. Uh, DK, let him be what a U.S. number nine center forward should be against these lesser teams. Josie was great at beating up on these lesser teams. And I mean, this is a compliment, like just ending those games, like get those goals and put this out of reach. And I'd love to see DK do the same thing. So just build some confidence, find a guy. Because I mean, one of these guys might need to start you when you have your A team together this summer. So let's figure out if it's one of these two, build some confidence and and go off in there.
0: Jordi Mihailovic, also another interesting name, another Dutch player. Uh, well, the guy who plays in Dutch league at AZ. He's he's talented, talented guy. Like there's again, there's a lot of names in here that I'm just like, okay, I'm, you know, for, for your average fan, you know, you look at the roster and go, I don't know who some of these people are. They're actually, it, it will be fun on Friday and Monday to see like kind of who plays and how they look. And yep. you know, some of these are Gore. Okay, first game is a little bit of a gorified expedition, uh, or exhibition, I should say. Well, before we move on to the ball, like two wins here, like we just need two wins. Is there any, anything less than that? that's pretty much. Not acceptable, I would imagine. Yeah,
2: yeah. I mean, it's not what you need technically to advance, but come on, if you don't beat Grenada and you don't beat El Salvador at home, like, what are we doing?
0: What are we doing? Exactly. All right, let's get to one name that if you don't know, you should know, um, and who has been definitely in US men's national team, especially fan circles, very recently. I'm sure a bunch of people have been hitting him up on Twitter because he has not yet decided who he will be playing for full time, and that's Fowler and Balogun, who is... All right, let me. I'll just take it from the beginning here, because I I assume a lot of our audience might not know the full back picture of Balogun, who is, you know, one of the more talented youngsters in the world right now. Mm -hmm. Currently owned by Arsenal, he is on loan at Roms. How how do we pronounce that? Uh, uh, My French expert Paul.
2: You know, we're not French, so we
0: can't say it correctly. But Roms, I believe, is as close as we can get. Reams, Roms, (laughs) tomato, tomato. Here we are. Sorry, we're just two ignorant Americans. But uh, what are we going to do? He's got 17 goals, though, in the French League. That's two behind the likes of Kylian Mbappe. He's ahead of Messi and Neymar. I mean, he is just scoring at will, uh, and he's definitely opening some people's eyes. He is a 21-year-old Arsenal forward, as I mentioned. He was born in New York City, but he moved to London in age two. His parents were also born in Nigeria, so he can technically represent Nigeria as well. So he could represent all three of those countries. Has yet to make a full decision yet. Um, he joined Arsenal's academy at age eight. He's played for he's had multiple uh, England youth national team appearances, especially in the U18s. Um, he made four appearances in, in 2018, though for the US. So he has played for both sides, but he has played more for the England um, right. youth national team going back, you know, a few years here. Uh, the, the The real question is, he was omitted. I guess I guess you could say he was a snub, Paul, in in the senior England squad right. this time around. I, you know, he he's kind of a fringe player there, and. Yeah. I, I, I mean, they snubbed, say- for, they snubbed him for they Tony, for basically, who's yeah, you know,
2: and, and, a, a good Premier League forward. So it's not, it's not a, uh, it's not like you're snubbing him for another 21 year old or something like that.
0: And he all uh, Tony also who, who was who was going through legal troubles because he apparently bet on games, and we don't even know if Oops. he's going to be able to play. He's going to be suspended, I would assume. So like. His future is probably in doubt. He's not certainly a future of, of your national team. So it was a little bit weird that, you know, Balogun didn't get called up yes. to, to the English squad. And he, after this happened, he did get the call up to the U21 squad. I'll, I'll, I'll make that clear. But then he he ended up uh, not going because he got injured. He picked up a knock, so he didn't end up going. But he did post on his Instagram after yes. the snub, quote, go where you're appreciated, unquote. Which is, you know, yeah. listen, it's hard to interpret that, Paul, any other way than like, oh. I was disappointed I didn't get called up to the senior English squad.
2: And on his Instagram today, there's a picture of him that appeared to be in Orlando with the US's training. Hey,
0: now this is, Uh-oh. this is a
2: little fuzzy, you know, this is internet detective work, but there's a, like a dog training place behind him in the picture. And there's also a one that looks identical in Orlando. So can't hundred percent confirm that, but it's something, um, I don't know. I mean, he's the perfect guy. The U S needs exactly him. Uh, he can, you know, I've, a couple of days ago, I went down a Balogun rabbit hole on YouTube, just watching highlights and stories. or whatever. Yeah, I mean, he's got he's got everything you want. He's got pace. He's got technique. He can finish with his head, with his feet. He moves well in the box. Uh, Mikel Arteta compared him to Andy Cole and Ian Wright, who are a couple of you know great English forwards. So those are that's very complimentary. So he's he'd be the perfect guy to fill that number nine hole for the U.S. Uh, of course, he could also fill that hole for England, which you know so, is going
0: to have a little bit of a hole coming there too. That's what I was going to get to here because like obviously what's the biggest glaring hole? We need a striker. That It is what it is. He'd, he'd walk into the U.S. starting 11 tomorrow and probably be <laughs> one of our best attacking players if not our best attacking player. Yep. It is what it is. But you know it, it's hard to say what the allegiance is. All right. So he was, he was born in the States. He spent two years there. Doesn't remember it. So it's not like he has any like you know incredible right. U.S. ties. Uh, grew up in London. So I'm sure he you know he has an English accent. He's again a dual national. So it's, it's hard to say like okay I I'm going to just I'm going to assume he wants to play for England first and foremost. I like I think so. I, that, that, that's fine. It is what it is. I'm not going to be mad about it. But the question is, I actually kind of think England, I don't want to say they need him as much as the U S do because they don't, they have more talented players and other positions around him. If they don't have him, it's not going to be the end of the world. But if you look at England striker position, Paul, Yeah. like at the, the post Harry Kane thing, like there's, it's kind of, it's kind of grim. Like, I mean, yes. so you mentioned Ivan Tony, um, yeah, who's, so- you know, who's not the next, he's not like the guy who's going to take over yeah. for Harry Kane. Um, my guy, Tammy Abraham, is yep. he's 23 or 24 now. By the, next, yep. by the next World Cup, he's going to be closer to 30. Yeah. Dominic Calvert-Lewin is another guy who's made a couple of rosters, but he's always hurt. He's talented, but again, he's not, he's not super young. Balogun is 21 years old. So yep. I actually think you could argue that England should, should want him, not as much as the U.S., but they definitely should want him because they need a striker after Harry Kane. Yeah, so
2: I went through the, the top five European leagues this year and have the top goal scorers who are English. Excluding penalties. So, I mean, it's Kane, number one. Number two is Rashford, who, you know, not a nine, more of a winger. Mm -hmm. Number three is Baligan. Number four is Tony, who's 27 and, you know, not, probably not a starter at the international level over the next four years. Five is Saka, winger. Six is Harvey Barnes, midfielder, tied with Phil Foden and James Madison. So you got another winger, another midfielder. I mean, Ollie Watkins has eight goals, non-penalties for Villa. He's 27. Uh, Sully March for Brighton. And now we're in like James Ward-Prowse, Callum Wilson, Danny Ings, Tammy Abraham range. So, I mean, those are your guys who are scoring goals who are English in the top European leagues. That's kind of a, a grim of sorts. I and mean, look, there's a ton of talent there. Maybe you just uh, plug some Tony type of player up top and surround him with good wingers and see what happens. But yeah, there's a big question mark at England uh, at that number nine spot once Kane goes away in the next handful
0: of years. And one of my best friends is an Arsenal fan, and so I, I do get like the regular. <laughs> I get, I do get the regular Balogun updates, and you know Arsenal fans are excited about him. The question is like, what is he is he going to be at Arsenal next year? Right. They have Eddie Nketiah, who is kind of their backup striker now. Balogun, I think is I think anyone really admit, is better than him, but is he willing to accept that backup role to play at Arsenal? Does he go on loan again next year, but maybe in the Premier League? Uh, so there's a lot to be sort of decided for what his future is. But there's no denying this guy is incredibly talented and you know, I, I guess I'm just surprised that England isn't, like, I guess, putting a stronger foot forward to, like, really not, you know, to not convince him and not let him flirt with the U.S., because if, you, if you're right, and he's, like, in Orlando flirting with the U.S. guys, maybe getting some jerseys, you know, maybe mm-hmm. going out with the boys, like, that only helps our cause, and I, yeah, the U.S. should really do, I mean, we've actually had some success, like, especially going back to the Jurgen Klinsmann with the dual national German guys, we've had success convincing those guys to play for the U.S., so, you know, I don't know if it's it's been anybody as talented as as Balogun is. I mean, maybe you could say Sergino Dest was that guy because the Netherlands definitely did want Sergino Dest when he was society between uh, the Dutch and, and and the US. So, I I, I think, but I think again, Balogun would be such a bigger coup because he's a guy that we he, he you put it perfectly, he's the exact player that we need, especially you know heading into this massive World Cup in 2026. And I
2: wonder if this is another way that the European international soccer setup is hurting Europe. You know, we. we I don't know if we talked about it, but it was a thing during the World Cup. Like these European teams are only playing European teams, and they don't get to play a different variety of teams. Uh, In sort of a similar way, all their friendly—you know—they don't have a lot of friendlies. Like these are European qualifiers this window, so in some ways they can't mess around. Like you don't have the opportunities that the US, for example, has a little bit, where you have some either friendly windows or windows like this that are uh, not quite as important. Just mess around a little bit. Eighteen going. Get weird. I can kind of see the England point like if we have to win this game which we kind of do I'd rather throw Tony than Balogun in today that's not great for your future but I, I kind of get it and I think it just might be another way that this Nations League setup that UEFA started is kind of hurting them on the global scale
0: listen don't change it we'll take it forget I said take, anything yeah we'll take any of these fringe guys let's let's just let's be honest I mean you know Anthony Robinson, another guy who you know he, he could could have chose both i mean he's certainly england's more stacked at, at that position right. he was never really going to get a sniff there but hey we will gladly take him he's i think our best fullback as i mentioned before mm-hmm. so um he's definitely a name to watch out for we'll see how things kind of unfold but it definitely seems like he's right for the taking so hopefully fingers crossed you know he, he makes a decision at some point in the near future and chooses the, the red white and blue but um all right let's let's that's enough but we actually had a very interesting thing at the end of last week last friday we had the champions league quarterfinal draw which was Fascinating, Paul, because it basically Ooh. put all of the like the favorites on one side of the of the bracket and then all of kind of the scrappy underdog Italian teams plus Benfica on the other side. Um I'll just go yeah. really quickly. Let, let me give you the matchups and I'll give the odds and we can kind of talk about everything just together. Man City got drawn with Bayern. Man City is a slight favorite, minus 128, Ooh. Bayern plus 104. Definitely the juiciest matchup, I think, of, of them all. Real Madrid. Uh, the winner of, of Man City Bayern would then play Real Madrid and uh, Chelsea, the winner of Real Madrid, Chelsea. Real Madrid, only, a, only minus only 150 favorite to advance. I kind of feel, I kind of like that. I don't, I, Chelsea plus 122. I just don't think, I don't know. We can get to this game in a little bit. Uh, we'll we'll talk about kind of like who we like going forward. I think that's a little weird. And then the other side of the bracket, you've got the three Italian teams. AC Milan against Napoli. AC Milan is plus 168. Napoli, heavy favorite at minus one, uh, or minus 210, which is the biggest favorite so far to advance. And then Benfica, Dangerous, scrappy Portuguese Portuguese mm-hmm. Benfica, who is uh, the underdog against Ace Milan. They're plus one twelve, and uh, I'm sorry, Inter Milan. Inter Milan. Uh, Inter right. Milan is, is minus one thirty eight. So uh, I don't know, Paul. It, it's it's. I don't know if it's. It definitely is going to be cool because it, it gives Napoli sort of that 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 direct line, that direct path to the final. I really hope they don't screw it up. Do you? I mean, do, do you think they walk into the final? Where are we at? I mean, they're definitely the
2: biggest winner here. You know, you look at the odds before the draw like Byron was like plus 275 ish to win and now they're around plus 360 and Napoli was around plus 500 and now they're at plus 340 so that kind of tells you what what you know Bayern and Man City were the two favorites and now they're playing each other and Real Madrid is arguably the third favorite depending on how you feel about Napoli uh a third or fourth so you got at, at worst three of the top four teams on the same half I mean Napoli Napoli's handed a gift. That's, that's the bottom line here, but not that this is a cakewalk because you are going to play a couple of teams well, at least one team that you're very familiar with, but you know, both Milan teams have been kind of scuffling up and down all season. I do think Benfica is sneaky dangerous. Yep. I mean, they destroyed club Bruges. So it's a little bit tough to get a total handle on it, but I don't have a lot of faith in Inter Milan from what we've seen over the past nope. you know, couple of months. Uh, I kinda of like Benfica as a underdog, getting plus money on them to advance here. Uh, I don't mind taking a flyer on them like to reach the final, that kind of thing. But Napoli, like, look, you're never gonna get an easier path. Not that this is a simple path, but you're never gonna get an easier path to a Champions League final. And then you'll probably be an underdog there, but it's a chance it's a right. final. What do you expect?
0: Yeah, well, it was the underdog won last year. Liverpool was a favorite right. and we both were on right. Real Madrid and Chelsea. Chelsea, was, Chelsea bing, boom.
2: Knocked off city the year before.
0: So Anything exactly. So Ben let me just go through two. This is these are just like two win it. Uh and again, this is heavily dictated by what the bracket is. So Man City is the favorite, despite being on that difficult side at plus two twenty. Napoli second favorite at plus three forty, Bayern Munich plus three sixty, Real Madrid plus six fifty. Uh, Inter Milan plus 1300 Benfica plus 1400 Chelsea plus 1400 as well and then AC Milan plus 2300 the Benfica plus 1400 I mean you take that and then you know maybe you could potentially kind of hedge against it if they do reach the final I, I don't mm-hmm. hate that at all I'm kind of with you I think Inter Milan are a little bit fraudulent you know I I, I to to it's a tough task to to beat back to back Portuguese teams too. I just think, though, as we talked about in previous pods, it's just a tough place to play. They're tough teams, and Benfica yeah. is the better team in Portugal this season. Right. So, I I do like Benfica to advance there. And man, I I don't know. I like it, it. I like the way that it. I like that it's gonna. It's probably gonna pin like an underdog against one of these big giants, and it makes for a fun final. Yeah, yeah, it'll be fun. And, and there's gonna be. those I mean,
2: there's quarters and semis on that half of the bracket. Are gonna be great. Man City against Bayern, then one of those teams against Real Madrid or Chelsea. I mean, Real Madrid, you just can't kill. So, you know, it would be just like them to somehow get back to the final again this year after, uh, you know, losing El Clasico and, and kind of being out of the La Liga race. But we've seen them do it before. Wouldn't shock me if they did it again, somehow, against all the odds. Let's, but uh, yeah, it'll be fun.
0: Let's talk about that matchup. Because um, as I mentioned, Real Madrid, minus 150 to advance. I kind of, I don't I don't hate that price. Like, I just, I, like, from from a Chelsea perspective, like, Thomas Tuchel ain't walking through that door, okay? Roberto right. Di, Di Matteo is not walking through that door either. This isn't yeah. this isn't like the the old Chelsea team where it's like hey we're at turmoil midseason but we can still go on and win a Champions League title. I just I don't see it that way. Listen, crazier things have happened as we've mentioned in in like a you know a, a two two legged setup. You know you you nip a result here and then you just kind of like hold the court at home. Like you never know, but I just. I, I think Real Madrid basically are walking into the semifinal. Like I, I just love this matchup for them. Again, I watched Chelsea blow a lead, blow two leads to Everton last weekend. Chelsea are not a good team. They don't have great goal scorers. Mm-hmm. As as much as I want to give Potter, as we have talked about, I'm, I, I want to be patient with him. I just don't think they have like a realistic shot to really go that far in this tournament. Um, I, I'm I'm a little bit surprised that Real Madrid are still getting that decent of a price. Right. I, I think I think Chelsea is a little better than they the results have been, but I still
2: I'm not saying that they're that good. Uh, and Real Madrid just has it I mean they just destroyed Liverpool basically over two legs We all agree that Liverpool is better than Chelsea uh and obviously has a lot more firepower than Chelsea does they're gonna sl- Chelsea's gonna slow down Real Madrid now it's it's really hard for me to see that uh because if nothing else Real Madrid' can gonna say all right we're just gonna outscore you you know our defense may not be what it once was and may not be great but it's our offense is much better than yours is so you know we're gonna go score five goals and I don't think Chelsea can do that
0: mm-hmm. Yeah, I also don't think like the Chelsea like when they go back to London and play at the Bridge like that's it's like an uneasy kind of crowd there. I don't think they're like if, if, <laughs> oh, if they things will go wrong. So fast. Yeah, if things go wrong. Like I'm not saying that's not gonna be that's not gonna be a place you want to go back to if things get right. a little bit weird in that second leg of that tie. So um, the Man City matchup again, we'll talk about them with Bayern here. Interesting because Bayern they are not trailing BVB in the Bundesliga uh, mm-hmm. title race. They just lost Leverkusen last weekend, two penalties. Nagelsmann, their manager. I mean, you know, we we all thought like this is the next big thing at Leipzig, and I'm not saying he isn't going to be or isn't, but it's definitely been a little bit underwhelming with his time at Bayern. I think they're, I, I kind of don't think this Bayern roster is, I mean, certainly they're they're kind of lacking a striker. Sadio Mane has been hurt for a while. They've had some injuries. They've had some guys out with, you know, suspensions and things like that. But I, I don't know what to make of this. Like, Bayern are kind of like the I trust you team. And this is right. usually the time that you start fading Manchester City. But I don't know, are you, are you ready to fade Man City now, Paul? Or are you just kind of like, I don't think this is the point? I mean, Personally,
2: I I have a six hundred plus six hundred Bayern future to win the whole thing, so I'm probably just going to sit on that yep, you're from a, easy. a matchup standpoint. But but yeah, I, I was going to say the exact same thing as you. I I trust Bayern a little bit more, even though they have more question marks than they usually do. Uh, you know, I'm not all in on City, even though you know Erling Holland just scored like seven hundred goals in the past couple of weeks. Uh, I, I just am not as convinced that they can you know come up big against the big teams, big games, etc. Especially in Europe, so. Yeah, I, I lean a little bit toward Bayern in this. I don't think the price is going to justify a play, especially with, with already having something on this team. But I, I do lean toward Bayern a little bit. I just kind of trust them a little bit more. They, they seem to get things done. It's kind of an intangible thing in the Real Madrid sense. They, they seem to pull out a lot of these big matchups. So I think they're... I mean, it's not a good spot to have to go play Man City in the quarters, but if you've got to play them eventually, maybe you'd rather play them over two legs and get a, a bit of a home shot at them at least.
0: And they get the second leg at home, right? Which uh, is nice, which is I think w- preferable in this situation. Uh, just for some some stat perspective here to show you how scary City has been though in their last five matches, they're five and oh, 19 goals scored, none uh, none against. Um, so <laughs> things are going pretty well offensively. People were a little bit mad that Erling Holland didn't get to break the uh, single game goal record uh, against Leipzig, <laughs> but <laughs> That's right. he's gonna he's gonna break some other records this year. Like everybody be, just calm down. Okay. I do have a question for you. This was this was actually asked in my group chat by my buddy Mike, who is the Arsenal fan. Um, Erling Haaland has 28 uh, league goals this year. Chelsea have 29 as a team. Who who ends the season with more goals? (laughs) Oh goodness! I mean, these games are going to matter to City all the way down the stretch in the league.
2: Uh, Oh man, I'm going to say Holland just because I can't bet against him. (laughs) You know, it sounds ridiculous, but I'll 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 go with Holland because you know if uh, if Chelsea comes out of nowhere and decides you know they're going to be scoring goals over the past couple months of the season, fine, I, I can live with that. But you're, just you're right. betting against him, against Holland and City, especially when you know they're playing the the bottom half teams, where you just can pile up a, two, three, four goals. That that's something I'd rather live with betting against Chelsea than betting against Holland.
0: I think you're. I think you're kind of right. You're right. It depends. <laughs> it fully depends on like how are they still in the title race the entire season? Right. if they're not right. and they, they end up falling like eight points back or whatever, right. they're going to put all their eggs in in the Champions League basket. We might see more of uh, of Olien Alvarez at, at striker than we do early on. But um, quick quick notes on the other two matchups as well. So three as, as I mentioned, three Italian teams in the quarterfinals for the first time since I think 2006. So we're not sitting here saying Serie A's back. It's definitely not because none of those teams have any money. But it is cool to see three Serie A teams and one of them not being Juventus mm-hmm. in the in the last day of the Champions League. And another interesting note on this, uh, especially AC Milan and Napoli, those two teams are going to play each other three times out of their next five games, including Ooh. three in their next three, basically three games against each other in a span of just over two weeks. So wow. they're going to get to know each other real well in the next couple of weeks there in Italy. That'll be fun. Uh, yeah, it'll be interesting to see what kind of lineups they roll out,
2: especially that league game, uh, which you know won't mean a ton to Napoli, probably not saying they're going to roll out a bunch of 19 year olds. But if you're going to kind of, rest some guys and cycle through some players It would seem like that would be more likely than the Champions League game so
0: yeah that'll be fun we'll see what happens there and Milan's form has been kind of not awesome in the league the last couple of games but I I'm not putting this bet in yet but it's one maybe we'll talk about this next week or the week after when we start talking about the matchups when we get a little bit closer to the games but I, I kind of like AC Milan to maybe get a result at least in that first one at home and then maybe that's the point where you can get a better price on Napoli heading into their home their second leg at home um I don't know, I have, to think, I have to think a little bit more about that. But sometimes you get those interleague matchups in the Champions League, and it's just not as straightforward as you think it is, even though Napoli are clearly the better team than AC Milan. Yeah. But AC Milan have been better defensively. Yeah, it's been a little bit up and down, but they still have good players. I mean, Rafael Lau has been a totally different guy than he was a year ago. I think, I think honestly, they might sell him this summer if they can't agree to a contract extension, which he'll go for a pretty big fee, I would assume. But I don't know. I don't think I don't think it's as cut and dry, especially in that first leg as some, some may think. But I, w- what's your dream final, Paul? Is it Man City-Napoli?
2: Uh... Yeah, I mean, just because somebody's got to win, you know, the first one, Mm -hmm. as far as a Champions League or European Cup goes. Yeah, someone getting a first one. I mean, just for the stories, like Real Madrid-Napoli would be pretty great, too. I mean, you really can't go wrong with anyone from that, I guess I'll call it the left side of the bracket. Uh, So, I don't know. Maybe I kind of would almost rather see... No, I think I'll stick with City and Napoli. I mean, I was thinking maybe I'd rather see Napoli try to take down one of the giants of Bayern or Real Madrid, a giant, and we've won lots of European titles since. Uh, but, but City against Napoli would be a pretty fun game, I think, to see City try and, and crack what's been a solid Napoli defense. And Napoli, you know, for a rare time this year, run into a team that is you know, better
0: or more talented than they are. And style play-wise, like those are the two teams It mm-hmm. just, I mean, it's just offensively like, Pedal to the metal pretty much every single yeah. time. Uh, you know Napoli are terrifying. It's, it's, it'll be yep. a really fun one, I think. And Pep's already like laying the. He's already talking, talking them up and saying, "Hey, they're they're the best team in the, in, in, in in Europe <laughs> and this, this, and that." And Napoli's manager um, Luciano Spalletti is like, "I don't want to hear this. That's just that's just Pep <laughs> playing mind games." So it's hundred. He's hundred percent right. Oh, yeah. Let me ask you this question really quickly too. I I, I hit you up on this, uh, and I want to I want to talk about this for a second. If I gave you City or Napoli or the field, so basically the favorite on both mm-hmm. of their sides of the bracket. Would you take Nap City or Napoli to win it, or the field?
2: Uh, yeah, if, if you crunch the, the betting odds numbers, like it's pretty much dead even as far as those two versus the other six. Uh, I would take the field, just because I feel like City Bayern is basically a coin flip, and you know Napoli obviously would have to beat Bayern or Real Madrid in the final there, and and I do think Benfica is a, a little sneaky, so I, I would take the field, but. I'm not going to fight somebody hard if, if they'd rather take those, the
0: favorite on each side of the bracket. Right now, according to 538, that gives Manchester City or Napoli a 48% chance at right. winning the go. final and everybody else a 52% chance. Right. So you're right, pretty much 50-50. Yeah, that's Here's, the question. That's a good one. Another interesting question, uh, if you had to pick one of those two to make the final, because right now you go to 538, Man City, 42% chance to make the final, Napoli 45. Is it easy just to say now because they're on the easy I, yes. side? or For me, it? yes.
2: Because City's yeah. going to have to get through, yeah, probably Bayern and Real Madrid. And, yeah, yeah that's a lot harder than getting through, you know, Benfica slash
0: Inter and AC Milan. Look out for Benfica. Benfica, though, just saying. Right. Oh, I don't, don't, totally don't, agree. We, 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 both of us, don't sleep on them. They're, yeah, it's uh, not just, a,
2: it's not an indictment of Benfica as much as it's, you yeah, know, it's Real Madrid.
0: Could very easily see a Real Madrid-Benfica final or a City-Benfica <laughs> final. and It would be Benfica. a little bit weird. But we'll see how that goes. Really quickly, uh, I do want to hit on this just because it was kind of insane, and we didn't get a chance to talk about either. Antonio Conte, is Spurs man, like, oh boy. just 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 burning bridges. <laughs> He's not even fired yet. I don't even know what's happening. Like he, we're recording this on a Wednesday, he hasn't been sacked. For anybody that missed it, he basically just torched not only like his own players, the board, but really like the history of the club. He was like, this is just Spurs and DNA. Like they don't they don't win things. They never strive to actually win trophies. <laughs> I I can't change this, and you're like, well, you're getting paid a lot of money to, to potentially change this. Right. Um, he's got to be sacked, I would assume, over this international break. Like, where where do I, we sit here? I mean, yeah, if they were Chelsea in Chelsea spot, where
2: they're tenth in the table or whatever, and have nothing to play for, I think they probably already would have fired him. But it's, I mean, they're you know a couple weeks ago they were about 50-50 for top four, and now they're I think the third favorite to make it after Newcastle, and Liverpool for that fourth spot, assuming United uh, gets one of the four. So. Like they have a lot to play for. You can't just blow everything up right now. I mean, Pochettino's the obvious guy to come in and replace him and try and hold water on the ship or whatever the my bad analogy is supposed to be over the past couple of months. But yeah, I think it's just the fear of because you know you miss Champions League. That's whatever hundred million dollars that you're not getting next season. So that's the that's the challenge. I don't know how you balance those two things between someone who uh, kind of blew everything up and still having to hold everything together in order to finish the season.
0: I've been an Antonio Conte defender for many years. I think you know he. I mean, <laughs> yeah. just look at his. I mean, look at his resume. Like mm-hmm. he he went from uh you know he he went from Serie B essentially to take over at Juventus. That was a total kind of like wild card hire. It worked out well. They won what eight or nine straight Scudetto. Uh, and you know they were the dominant team in Italy, mostly because of him, just turning that thing after coming out of Catapoli, which right. was. You know, basically them getting relegated to Serie B. Like, he he did a great job there. And then he got mad because Juve didn't spend enough money in the market. <laughs> so he's like, all right, I'm leaving. Jump ship to Chelsea. What's he do at Chelsea? He wins the Premier League in the first year as manager. Things obviously fall out there. He's gone, I think, what, a year later or something, you know, because they're not spending enough money either. And, you know, he's just kind of an abrasive guy. Goes to Inter Milan. What's he do? He ends Juve's reign yep. as champions in Italy and wins the title with uh, with Inter Milan. And every year that he hasn't been in Inter Milan, they've gotten progressively worse and I have less, less confidence in them pretty much every year, including this year, I'm surprised they're in the final eight, but they've been kind of up and down team for the last two years in Syria. And, you know, so so when he got hired by Spurs, I was like, this is kind of the exact guy they need, right? He, it's, it's like, it, it's kind of how I felt about Jose Mourinho at Roma. It's like, they need a culture changer. They need a guy who is a proven serial winner, who doesn't put up with any bullshit and is going to like, you know, take the, put the responsibility on the players and not just sack the manager every time something doesn't go right. But man, I could not be more wrong. And it's not like Spurs haven't spent money, Paul. I said They're last, trying. I think I, I think I said on the last pod, yeah, they spent a ton of money. I and mean, they have. And they haven't spent as much as obviously City or United or even Arsenal, but they still spent a ton of money. So uh, it's hard. It's really hard for me to kind of can, sit here and continue to defend him because I do think he's wrong in this situation. But I also think he is correct to point out that this is kind of the history of Spurs. Like they just don't, they don't, they don't win things.
2: Yeah. To be honest, most of what he said was not wrong. I mean, but. The truth hurts. It means <laughs> you a lot. can't handle the truth. It hits a lot differently coming from your own manager than, you know, Arsenal fans or whatever it might be. Yeah. and yeah, He's I not know. some I random mean, guy
0: on Reddit just with, you know, with the back right. and forth right. banter. He's the manager. It's not even, of- it's not even a media <laughs> guy
2: or Mourinho or, you know, whatever it is. He's, yeah, he's still, you're still paying him a lot of money. Um, they, they look so good the first, you know, whatever, 10 games. I think they had their best ever start to a Premier League season and just has been kind of a steady decline since then. I mean, I feel like it's just a little of everything going wrong. You know, Sun, Sonny's not scoring like he was last year. Uh, Kane's been fine. Uh, the defense has not been as good. Bettencourt got hurt. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it, it's been a, a little of everything. I don't know if it's just too much to try and plug all those holes at a time for him or for Tottenham or, or what exactly it is. But yeah, I, I'm very interested to see what they do this week and over the past two, next two months because there's no good answer to either getting rid of him or trying to bring someone in new and keep them up in the top four.
0: Well, uh, unlike Antonio Conte, Paul, we will be likely back next week uh, <laughs> on the pod. I'm not, not going <laughs> to blow up the pod, at least not on purpose, in the next week. Um, let's, actually, before we, get, before we get out of here, I know we kind of talked about this. We don't really have best bets for this week because, I, I, listen, I'm going to be watching England, Italy. I don't know that I have a play on it right now, but it, some of the U.S. games that we were kind of talking about beforehand, I wait until the lineups come out because there are some actually kind of juicy, especially in the in the Granada game. There are some juicy like anytime goal scorer numbers for both DK and Pepe, even Pulisic. Like, look at the lineups though. I mean, the numbers will probably change, but if we get any kind of indication, there are some interesting numbers there for anytime goal scorer for some of those US matchups.
2: I think so. Yeah, Pepe's plus two seventy, DK's plus three thirty. Pulisic will also take penalties, and a likelihood is plus five hundred. Um, but Pepe or DK are the two I would look at if you can get them around plus three hundred ish. Once you know they're going to start, and again, the problem is you may not know till an hour before the game, and the odds might drop. But that's the direction I would definitely look because the U.S. put up five on Grenada last summer when they played at home. Should be a similar type of game
0: uh, when, down there on Friday. Just on on the old uh, the, the what is it the, the what do they call it the, the like a corn patch or whatever? I mean, this is basically just like a like a you know like a, field. a stadium. Yeah, like it's not. It's, it's, it's,
2: it's, it's Karani James Stadium. He's their only Olympic medalist. He's got three gold medals at the 400. They've named the stadium after him. But yeah, it's the it's the big stadium that'll you know, be
0: round and crickety. And they'll make it work for soccer as well. Well, it's a good thing we're not playing him in cricket. So there you go. <laughs> that's
2: right. We, we will lose that one badly.
0: <laughs> uh, all right. As I mentioned, we will be back next week. We'll break down the, the Nations League games. We'll talk about some of the other international action that's going on, obviously, over the course of the next week or so. Um, and we will preview club soccer coming back. Uh, some more best bats again. Uh, next week as we look ahead to the EPL mashups as we go, again, nine teams basically in the in the running for, for relegation, a, a title fight um, in, in multiple leagues, actually. So it'll be really interesting. We'll, we'll break all that down when we come back. Probably, I would say middle of next week, Paul, because we, we get yeah. the game on Monday, so maybe Wednesday or Thursday next week we'll likely be back with some of that stuff. So um, before we get out of here, um, any other, I'm trying to think, any any other, I don't, I don't know if we have any other bets or anything to give out, really, but... Um, I don't think so. Know. I mean, the only one I think I've played of all these has been Fika to advance. I got them at plus 120. I think it's a plus 110 now. Which, yeah, I, I, I love can get that. plus money on that. I still like it. Love it. I, and I think they're even. We could talk about this again. I, they're plus one ten in the game itself at home against Inter. Like I, mm-hmm. I, I will likely be all over that uh, yeah. in a co- in a couple of weeks. So if you get on early, see look at the prices and see if you can get the best one over the next couple of weeks. But uh, thanks again, to the great Paul Carr. Thanks to Stefan Anderson for producing this podcast. Go USA. We'll check out some of these uh, new and familiar names in in the two matchups over the next uh, week or so, and we'll catch you next week. So appreciate you guys listening. Talk then.